0: This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hard men or use the link in the show notes. Caitlin and Ellie Suter never met, but they had a lot in common. Both were commanding athletes. Caitlin, a US track cyclist, was a three times world champion and Olympic silver medalist. And Souter, a snowboarder, was tipped to be one of Team Great Britain's strongest contenders for the 2022 Winter Olympics, having already won a bronze medal at the 2017 European Youth Olympic Festival. Both were incredibly smart. Caitlin was studying for a master's degree in computational and mathematical engineering at Stanford University. While Souter learned to speak French in about six months, according to her father, at times they almost seemed superhuman. In 2013, after only three weeks of formal training and having broken her wrist, Souter became British champion with her arm in a cast. Meanwhile, Caitlin, who had a tenderness for children, once rode 80 miles through sleet and snow to speak to grade school about her Olympic experience. Yet these two women's lives were tragically cut short after they sustained serious head injuries in their pursuit of sporting greatness, and then they took their own lives. Caitlin was 23 while Suter died by suicide on her 18th birthday. Females may be more susceptible to concussion, and they also have worse and prolonged symptoms after their injury than men, according to a review of 25 studies of sport-related concussion published in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine. However, women remain significantly underrepresented within sport and exercise science research. This, leading experts warn, means they often do not get the treatment or aftercare they need following a head injury. In America today, little thought is given to the question, should women participate in competitive sports or athletics? And if so, how? In a post-Title IX world, we simply take it for granted that women should be allowed to do everything that men do in exactly the same way that men do it. This is based largely on the underlying presupposition that men and women aren't sexually distinct and therefore they are not physically distinct in any meaningful way. Most of us were raised in a world that's been championing women in sports, not to mention military law enforcement and other roles once regarded as the domain of men, as a sort of birthright in the American experience, such that to question this deeply held belief in any way is seen as blasphemous. The sameness of men and women is often defended therefore with religious fervor. One recent article in Global Sport Matters says that, quote, Girls play sports less than boys do, so they miss out on the immense benefits kids get from playing sports, even though girls may need them the most, end quote. Studies seem to indicate that this weighting toward male participation is pretty consistent around the world. According to the same article, quote, About 4.5 million boys and 3.4 million girls participated in high school sports in 2018 and 2019, end quote. The article then asks, why don't girls play sports? Well, according to them, the media is to blame for not promoting a pro female athlete message. Similarly, they claim social injustice, economic inequality, and systemic racism, along with sexism, result in a system that doesn't provide women with enough opportunities to join competitive leagues. What exactly are these girls missing out on? According to the authors, beyond the health benefits of exercise, not participating in sports has negative effects. On a woman's confidence and self-esteem. Instead of heading to the ball field, these girls are forced into quote-unquote oppressive activities like learning to cook, maintaining a household, and tending to family responsibilities. There's an underlying assumption that the only way for girls to gain confidence is, well, to act like men and to do the things that men are doing. Being distinctly feminine, on the other hand, is oppressive and apparently confidence-shattering. But what if girls play sports less because their nature better suits them to the nurturing roles of motherhood and home rather than the intense combat-like environment of many male sports? What if men are by nature more competitive, more aggressive, and more eager to exert physical prowess against other men, and this too arises from God's good design? It's certainly not a conclusion anyone in the mainstream media or, for that matter, in the article are willing to offer. And so today, it isn't uncommon to see young teenage girls playing on traveling or college basketball teams in ultra-competitive leagues that push their bodies to the physical limit, often to the point of injury. Or young girls with serious foot injuries and eating disorders developed while participating in extremely demanding activities like ballet. And I don't mean little girls in tutus learning to pirouette gracefully, either. How many of these female sports at higher levels are dominated by homosexuals? Few Christians take this into account. This homosexual bent is so well known that even the Babylon Bee ran an article titled, In Historic First, WNBA Player Comes Out as Straight. In truth, today there is little thought given to sexual design regarding the differences between the male and female body, or why it is that women are four to six times more likely than men to experience an ACL tear, especially when participating in cutting sports, like soccer or basketball, than are the men. Or why they are more prone to concussions due to a lack of overall neck strength. In a British study, 36% of participants in the study said they had missed their period and they thought this was normal. But we should ask whether or not this is a good thing for our girls. The scientific research seems to point out that women and men, well, they really are different. And ignoring this reality is detrimental, particularly to the female sex. It seems prudent that we answer the question of women in sports by acknowledging the physical differences and then adjusting accordingly. On the more extreme end of the spectrum, there are women beating each other to a pulp in blood sports like MMA and the UFC. There's not much backlash about this either. There has also been a concerted effort to include girls in American football or Australian rugby, and not without serious fallout. Consider the example of Katie Nida, a Denver area soccer player who went on to be the first woman to kick a Division I field goal for the Colorado Buffaloes football program. Years after leaving the team, Nida claimed she had been raped by teammates at a party. It was certainly a tragic story, but hardly anyone was willing to ask a serious question. Was it a good idea to place a young woman in the context of a men's college locker room? Was this a good idea in the first place? What I want to ask in this episode is, how should Christians think about the participation of our women and our girls in ultra-competitive sports and athletics? What principles should guide us as we seek to apply scripture and help us think through these issues? What I want to do in this episode is begin to establish some biblical principles that should help us as Christians think through what is, in our cultural context, a difficult discussion. I also want to lay my cards on the table early on. I'm not saying, nor do I think, that women are prohibited outright from physical activity or exercise in general, nothing of the sort. I generally see no problem with youngsters learning softball or running around outside in team sports. Signing up for a 10k run to help shed some baby weight and improve your sanity is probably fine. I'm not talking about casual backyard games among family and friends either. A lot of that is good and I'm not speaking against it here. I do think, however, that male and female bodies share a similarity and that certain forms of exercise are beneficial for promoting lifespan and healthspan. If a woman is sedentary, weak, significantly overweight, or has poor cardiovascular health, for example, it will shorten her lifespan and effectiveness in the roles God has assigned to her. She is far more prone to chronic disease brought on by inflammation. The Proverbs 31 woman, you will remember, was praised for the strength of her arms. Her existence seems to be anything but sedentary or lounging. And so, I am not here, therefore, advocating for some simplistic Victorian era stereotype of weak, frail women who never get off the sofa except to faint. I do think the way women engage in exercise and athletics ought to be distinct from men, however, since their God given physiology and design is different. This is especially true as the onset of puberty approaches. For example, women should probably not be pushed so hard in athletics that they stop having a menstrual cycle. This isn't normal, and as studies have shown, it is likely detrimental to a woman's hormonal health. As men's bodies hit puberty, they become significantly stronger than women, and it seems prudent to avoid high-contact sports at this age, especially when they pit women against men. It was for this reason that I withdrew my 15-year-old son from a basketball rec league after discovering that it was co-ed. The goal in all of this is obviously to protect women from serious injury. Red meat is a staple of a healthy protein-packed diet, but not all meat is created equal. That's why I buy my meat from Salt and Strings Butchery. Salt and Strings is owned and operated by my friends Quinn and Samantha Bible, and the meat they offer is raised, harvested, and processed exclusively in Southern Illinois. It's cut and packaged by my friends Quinn and Anthony, And not only is it the best meat I've ever had, well, all their meat is sourced from local farms that share our Christian values. Salton Strings is now offering a beef and hog box that can be shipped directly to your door. The 15-pound beef box features 100% black Angus beef and includes ribeyes, T-bones, sirloin, chakros, fajita meats, and ground beef. You can order your beef box today for just $259. It will send it directly to your door. The hog box is $239 and features premium Duroc pork, including eight thick pork chops, one of my all-time favorites, pork steaks, cured and sliced bacon, ground pork, bratwurst, and breakfast sausage links. You can place your order today at saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. And also be sure to follow Salt and Strings on Instagram. We'll also include the link in the show notes. Before we jump into some of the principles that should guide our thinking on this subject, I do want to give a word about peaceful disagreement among Christians. I have many friends who have played sports or whose daughters have played sports and often at competitive levels. As a sports journalist by trade myself, I covered many female sporting events from high school all the way to Division I collegiate levels. It's not all bad, and many women look back fondly on their athletic experiences. Because of our cultural context, it's challenging to think clearly and biblically on these issues. Again, my goal isn't to say no women in any sports, but to provide guiding principles to think about how and when and in what kind of manner women ought to be participating. That said, this is a conversation that requires clear thinking and careful study of biblical principles. We won't all agree on some of the conclusions or applications, and that's okay. As Christians, it is good that we should wrestle with tough issues and come out friends on the other side. Hopefully, this conversation is edifying to you, and even if you disagree, we can all think more biblically about the issue. I'm sure many questions and observations will also come to your mind as you listen, and I would recommend that you share the charitable feedback. I welcome that. If you do have a strong reaction, that's okay. I would simply encourage you to think about why your response is so strong. I've been in your shoes, after all. Years ago, I remember a pastor saying that large families and competitive sports did not jive for them. It was simply a logistical impossibility to have eight children in competitive sports year round. And so it wasn't a priority for their family. Now I was raised to believe in the unparalleled value of character building through competitive sports. And I participated in competitive ice hockey and travel baseball almost year round. This was my lifestyle I learned so many valuable lessons, and it was so formative for me. I love the team spirit and the competition. And when I heard the pastor say that, I had a deep and rising indignation. My wife will recall the conversation that we had. How dare he? Doesn't he know the value of sports? Well, years later, I've come to see his point. Looking back, I think my response at the time was part of a personal and cultural idolatry of sports in America. I personally had placed too much stock in athletics. It had become, as I said, my life. And my passion for it was often unhelpful and unbalanced. For me, it was more, well, an obsession. We often missed church on Sundays and didn't practice hospitality, and we didn't have much of a life outside of competitive sports leagues and traveling for tournaments. Family life took a backseat to travel, and again, we went almost everywhere. I think this was out of step with the core duties that are laid out in scripture, and we'll talk more about that in this episode. Today, I enjoy sports, but from a very different perspective. I still enjoy watching little boys and girls play softball or t ball as a family event, and I can see the value in a lot of it. My sons have participated in tennis and basketball, but mostly at a recreational level and not so much competitive travel leagues. We have Sunday evening park days with our church in which men and women throw frisbees and play family friendly versions of kickball. I think that's fantastic. For our family and our church, this makes sense. We have a decided emphasis on the life of our family and the local church body, on Sunday worship and psalm singing on Tuesdays, and this requires a more relaxed pace, something we've decided a hyper-intensive travel sports league schedule would restrict us from participating in. I also think it's interesting to note historically that sports, well, they get a bad rap today. They were actually, many of them, invented for the sake of bettering Christian young men. Today, our sports have been stolen by the global American elite. They've been corrupted. You can just think about the Chiefs game and the playing of the Black National Anthem. I think one of the things Christians ought to be doing is not necessarily giving over sports to the left, which has been done, but I think over time we should seek to take them back for the sake of Christian culture, life, and principles. That said, I do think, as was true for me, competitive sports are often an idol for many Americans. Paul said bodily discipline has some value, and he was right, but it should definitely be a priority that ranks well below participation in the life of the church body, Sunday worship, family worship, or the health overall of a family. So, now what I want to do is lay out some principles for thinking through how we involve our girls in such activities, and hopefully in a way that protects their bodies while acknowledging the sexual distinction that God has woven into their bodies and their souls. Again, I hope it's an encouragement and helps you think through a sometimes difficult issue. Well, the number one principle I want to start with is that blurring sexual distinction is a bad thing, and so is androgyny. Blurring sexual distinction is a bad thing, and so is androgyny. God has created men and women with distinct sexual natures, and he's called them to different roles according to their nature. Since those distinctions are rooted in nature, they apply to every sphere, including sports. Men are bigger, they're stronger, and they carry more muscle mass. In turn, men are called by God to use their bodies to work and to keep, Genesis 2.15. These are the vocations that include intense physical labor and a capacity for violence. This is why men go to war. It's why men are employed in the most hazardous trades, and it's why men can compete at such physically vigorous levels with far less levels of injury and long-term effects than women. Women, on the other hand, go through puberty at a much younger age and these physical changes are preparing their bodies for motherhood. This includes the widening of the hips to accommodate childbearing, which is why they injure their knees at such high rates during cutting sports, and it includes the enlargement of breasts, which is why women in sports often have to starve themselves or use copious amounts of spandex to hold back their feminine distinctiveness. Women have less muscle mass and bone density, and therefore smaller statures on average. This is part of their sexual design. It is not a flaw. This is very good. Since men and women are designed differently, it follows that the way they participate in sports should be distinct as well. Anything that blurs the distinction between men and women is a bad thing. This is true for sports as well as many other roles and activities. I'll go into more detail in other points I'm about to make, but at a basic level, Christians should agree that the distinction in sexual design and role of women is a good thing and is ordained by God. Likewise, we should be opposed to efforts that aim at androgyny. As Merriam-Webster defines it, androgyny is the quality or state of being neither specifically feminine nor masculine. Whatever we say about participation in athletics, our aim as Christians shouldn't be to make women and men indistinguishable. Not in the bedroom, not in the boardroom, or on the ball field. We should wholeheartedly disagree with the popular cultural maxim that anything you can do, I can do better. Why? Well, because it's an effort to blur the sharp distinctions in the sexes that God has put there. It was God who actively sought to maintain and display this level of sexual distinction. I'll discuss this more in just a moment, but this androgenizing principle is what's behind the trans movement, which has weaponized sports, of all things, to convince young women they'd be better off acting like men. Before there was a radical trans movement, the path to androgyny was paved with girl power messaging which was largely issued through female athletics. Number two principle that we'll discuss is that our culture has feminism brain. We need to recognize that our culture has been deeply and powerfully shaped in the image of the women's lib, feminist, and sexual revolution ideologies of the 1960s. From movies to television to literature, we've been told over and over again that women are not only equal to men in every way, but they're probably better. And one of the main cultural vehicles used to push this narrative is sports. It's not that sports are bad. In fact, as I said, many of our sporting events in America were originally designed by Christians and for Christians. But we should be aware how the enemy is using them at this present moment to corrupt our society. When a woman loses her period, becomes so thin that she loses the feminine form, or begins taking steroids to stand atop the podium at a CrossFit event, she is becoming more like a man, and this is a bad thing. When you think about it, the end result is often not that far off from the transgender movement. Pump little girls full of male hormones, remove her breasts, and transform her into a man. Even in the church, a conversation about sexual distinction is generally frowned upon. As I've said in past episodes, even conservative Christians and complementarians have developed a softened hierarchical role structure, and sexual distinctions are downplayed for men and women. They were firm on the pulpit and marriage relationship, but not much else. They certainly haven't been willing to acknowledge the way that sports, many of which were designed specifically for men in mind, have likely harmed women and forced them to become more like their brothers. Again, we have to recognize that we live in a post-1960s world that has been shaped by Title IX and civil rights and a hundred variations of the Throw Like a Girl campaign. Now, in case you missed that one, there was a like a girl hashtag and Super Bowl ad that talked about girls' self-esteem and how throwing, running, and fighting like a girl shouldn't be insults. Now, there is some truth here. I agree sexual distinction should not be levied as an insult against the opposite sex. That much probably is true. Men should see sexual distinction as an opportunity to protect the glory of their women, not mock them. But the underlying message was that girls and boys could throw, run, or fight in exactly the same way and to the same level of competence as one another. As heartwarming as this narrative may sound to our feminist-trained ears, it is also quite obviously untrue. By the way, it's interesting that God mocked Israel in the Old Testament by pointing out that their leaders were women. God was essentially mocking an emasculated culture, saying something like, You guys lead like women! When men do things in a womanly way and vice versa, it is unfitting for their nature, and so they rightly get mocked as effeminate. Media elites have been trying for decades to tell us that women can participate in men's sports. They've chosen to highlight things like the U.S. women's soccer team and their demand for equal pay to the men's clubs. They've done the same with the narrative about the WNBA. And all along, the assertion is simple and plain. If men and women compete at the same level, well, then they should be paid the same way. There's just one obvious problem. Men and women don't compete at the same level, not even close. Anyone who's had to sit through a high school girls basketball game before watching the boys knows that this is true. My wife played high school basketball and we were dating at the time when she was a senior. And she would be the first to tell you that sitting through a girls game is generally miserable. Unless, of course, you're a parent or one of the girls playing. But again, because of feminism brain, we aren't allowed to notice. We aren't allowed to speak about the very real differences that our eyes quite obviously see. And here's my conclusion. Christians don't live by lies. We speak and act in accord with the sexual natures that God gave us, especially when it is unpopular to do so. Number three, sports shouldn't rank above clear God-given priorities. This is a principle we should be able to agree on as Christians. Biblically, there is clear teaching on the primary roles for men and women which correspond to their created sexual natures. For example, Adam named his wife Eve, which means mother of all living, Genesis 3.20. The Greek word used here is life, because after all, Eve is a life giver. Paul affirms the primary role of women as mothers in Titus 2, when he says that older women should teach younger women, quote, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Likewise, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul said that women will be saved through childbearing, and thus he was emphasizing her primary role as mother. Whatever we are to say about a woman's participation in athletic pursuits, we should acknowledge that it shouldn't interfere with her primary calling to motherhood. And deleting her menstrual cycle in feminine form certainly qualifies as interfering with the aim of the feminine nature. In like manner, Genesis tells us that woman was made to be a helper for man— in his mission and that mission includes fruitfulness and dominion Genesis 1:28 We also have clear commands to not forsake the regular gathered worship of the saints Hebrews 10:25 and in 1 Timothy 3 we are told that elders and therefore their wives must be practicers of hospitality This means that a woman's primary focus and aim is to be centered around husband household and the church This doesn't prohibit her from doing anything athletic but it does set a clear priority. It also means her youth should be primarily geared toward preparation for her main callings in life given by God and not a distraction from them. And of course, the same is true for men. Do you desire to be shrewd financially for the sake of your family and future generations? Well, we know that a robust society depends on getting this right. Success in building and passing on personal Wealth. Let's be mature, responsible leaders with the resources God expects us to turn a profit on, to love our children and children's children well. Joe Gerasi with Backwards Planning Financial integrates investments, debt, insurance, tax strategies, and legacy planning in a holistic approach, coaching his clients to act wisely. You can do better than you received. You can affect your family's trajectory and maximize your efforts to set up long-term fruitfulness. Joe starts with your values and goals, then provides impactful counsel to help you form and implement your financial plan. Click on the link in the description for Backwards Planning Financial and contact Joe today to get started. As parents train their young ladies, then they should do so not primarily to ensure she has every possible avenue for competitive athletic enterprise, but for becoming a mother and pillar in her home. Number four, there is a real tendency in some Christian circles to downplay the physical, including for women. You can see more about this in my episode previously on pietism. In general, there's not exactly a premium placed on the health of the physical body in today's church. The fat pastor didn't become a stereotype without warrant, nor did the frail emotive pastor in skinny jeans. But this inherent pietism also affects our ladies. In some camps that emphasize fertility, for example, women are often encouraged to have as many children as possible as quickly as possible. Little regard is paid to their physical or psychological health, and participating in any form of exercise is either frowned upon or ignored, as there simply wouldn't be enough time for bodily care when you're having babies in rapid succession. This, I think, represents a ditch on the other side of the secular, feminist, self-care or fitness model movements. Sadly, women in this situation often inadvertently accept the view that women ought to be frail, weak, or obese, and so their health suffers. I've known several women who have experienced severe mental and physical health crises because they didn't place a premium on their own bodily health or sanity. Caring for your own body is a natural God-given affection, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, and so we should encourage women to find ways to strengthen themselves physically. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm all for fertility. I'd love to see the church make families and large families great again, but I also think we need to couple this with a focused effort on helping our ladies find ways to strengthen their bodies so that they have greater health and lifespan. Pregnancy and delivery takes a real toll on a woman's body, and various forms of strength training, to name only one example, can help restore strength to things like abdomen and hip region, as well as improve overall health. As my friend Matt Reynolds has said elsewhere, it is entirely possible for women to strength train in a distinctly feminine way that improves overall health and strength. Number five, we shouldn't put women's bodies into high contact competitive sports that were designed for men. Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, we can all agree that the recent phenomenon of having men compete against women via transgender athletics is a bad thing. But I think we must also go further than this, deep down to the root of the principle. It's also a major problem that we put women into sports that require high levels of contact and are notoriously harmful to the female body, even when those are all female spaces. The main principle here is that women's bodies aren't suited for spaces of combat or intense competition the way that men's are, Genesis 2.15. Similarly, Deuteronomy 22.5 says, quote, A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. End quote. Specifically, the passage has in mind military garb, but I think it could also logically apply to football pads and boxing gloves. The passage isn't merely addressing cross-dressing, which clearly is forbidden, but women going to war or engaging in combat-like activities reserved for men. The women actually aren't supposed to act like men. This would include women going against women in high-contact sports like rugby, MMA, or again, American football. We'll see in just a moment why it's also medically a bad idea for women to engage in these activities. Even the original Olympic sports were designed as a peaceful preparation for war. They were understood as martial in character. This is something that Virgil recounts in the Aeneid. Again, think of things like boxing and rowing and javelin throwing. They were to prepare men for war. And men also had spaces like the gymnasium that were specifically for men. Again, this used to be obvious when Christianity ruled civic and social life. It's why it's laudable when male high school wrestlers forfeit matches rather than go to mat with young females. Such acts are abhorrent. It's why, just five minutes ago, culturally speaking, we would have all agreed that you don't hit a girl. These instincts are actually correct, and they reflect a recognition of God-given natures. Now, as a caveat, I will say I don't have in mind here that there's a real problem with things like recreational, church league, athletics, or backyard fun among families and friends. Certainly men should restrain themselves in such environments, and everyone can have a good time. But what I think is problematic is intense competition with a high volume of physical contact or level of exertion that stops the natural function of the female body. This should be viewed as going against feminine nature, which is primarily geared toward the nurturing roles associated with motherhood. According to a 2018 study published in the Medical Journal of Australia, which examined the recent push to bring more women into the sport of rugby, women's bodies aren't designed for contact sports like rugby. According to Chris Vertulo, an orthopedic knee surgeon, the stats related to injuries in female athletes genuinely are concerning. He said this, quote, It is a problem because you take a high-risk sport like rugby and you take a high-risk participant like a woman and you play a lot more of it, and the end result is a greater number of injuries, end quote. A similar study examined concussion rates in women's sports in the U.S., and it found that women are far more likely to suffer a concussion than men. And when they do suffer concussions, according to Professor Gary Brown, they have far more long-term cognitive problems. He said this, If you actually look at a female athlete who has concussed, they're twice as likely to actually suffer ongoing cognitive problems and balance problems compared to their male counterparts. They're more likely to take much longer to recover overall, and this seems to be becoming quite a significant problem for us to manage, end quote. Professor Brown also said studies show neck strength in females is significantly less than that of males, and is one of the contributing reasons for the increase in injury. He said, quote, Young girls have 50% less neck strength in terms of the way their neck mechanics actually work, And they have very poor neck control, and so they're more likely to get a rotational force which would cause concussion. End quote. Again, research confirms what we have known for centuries to be true. Women's bodies are different from men's, and they are not as well suited to intense contact or high competition sports. Women truly are the weaker vessel, according to scripture, and we should treat them as such. More to the point, we shouldn't be encouraging them to engage in sporting activities that actively put them at risk for lifelong injuries. As I said before, this would also include not just women competing against men, but women competing in sports that were designed for men, and then competing in them in the exact same way that men do, and a good example would be Australian rules rugby. This is pretty simple. Women's bodies aren't designed to take the physical contact in the same way that men's bodies are, and they are far more prone to be injured while competing in such a manner against men or against other women. They have less muscle mass, smaller frames, and less bone density, as we said before. And so when they do get injured, those injuries are much harder to overcome. Again, the main overriding desire here should be to protect our sisters and to honor the scripture, and we should resist the urge to push them, therefore, into such activities. This is another reason I'd at least give careful consideration to cutting sports, as they're called, that coincide with a girl's development into a woman in the teen years. Why? Because it subjects a woman's body to a sport that is incredibly hard on their bodies and was originally designed for men. And again, this would include soccer, basketball, rugby, to name a few. And again, it's going to depend on the level of competition. Now, related to all of this is the cultural push to get women into men's spaces. This includes locker rooms and barracks. This is a shocking thing to say in our gender neutral age. But society was generally healthier when we acknowledged the need for men and women only spaces. I remember how dumb it was, for example, when uh, female sports writers were invited into male locker rooms. It caused many cringeworthy moments, and it was, overall, immoral. It was not a good place for men and women to be together. All that, however, was a slippery slope to full-blown transgenderism. Number six, women should not be participating in violent blood sports. I've largely addressed this in the last point, but it's a feature of a morally bankrupt society that we pay to watch our ladies have each other's faces caved in for entertainment value. Former MMA fighter Fedor Emelianenko, if I'm pronouncing that right, drew the ire of many within the media world when he made comments about his disapproval of women competing in mixed martial arts. Fedor said, quote, women shouldn't be MMA fighters, they should be feminine and raising children, end quote. Well, I happen to agree with Fedor on this point. The world may hate this sort of comment, but Fedor is absolutely right. The female sex is designed by God for motherhood, not primarily martial activities. Number seven, pushing a woman so hard that her body ceases its natural functions or puts her at adversely high risk of lifelong injuries. Again, this would be stopping periods, ACL tears, etc. In the UK, a recent article said medical officials are concerned about a growing trend in female athletes who stop menstruating because of intense physical exercise. Researchers said this phenomenon presents serious health implications for women. There is a medical term for this, in fact. And it's called menstrual dysfunction and or REDS, S, and it means Relative Energy Deficiency in Sports Syndrome. It's causing severe hormone problems for women. The article says this, quote, Common reasons for menstrual dysfunction include low energy availability, polycystic ovary syndrome, an overactive thyroid, and even heart disease. The absence of menstruation is also a key symptom of relative energy deficiency in sport, or REDS, end quote. Needless to say, this can be a serious problem for women, and it can present lifelong health problems for them. Researchers also say most doctors treat missed periods as normal, and this is what they're telling young women. In fact, it's not normal or healthy at all. By the way, this is probably another reason even for men to think carefully about sports or activities that stop their natural functions or disrupt sex hormone health. For example, Mark Sisson, founder of Mark's Daily Apple and a key advocate of the primal diet, has written at length about how high performance sports, he used to be a marathoner and triathlete, do not produce optimal health for men either and create serious health problems. Now, when I was competing in triathlon and marathons, for example, one of the reasons I stopped was because it kills your sex drive. Yeah, it turns out sitting on a bike for hours on end is not conducive to reproductive health, And it also kills your appetite, which I found horrible. You'd think after a 10-mile run or 20 miles on the bike, you'd be starved and ready to eat, but the opposite is often true. For me, it created intense nausea. This is actually a pretty normal condition for long-endurance athletes. It's also really hard to maintain ideal muscle mass, which is optimal for health and strength. And studies have shown that sub-10% body fat is less optimally healthy even for men on a long-term basis. Well, here's my point in all of it. We should be concerned about subjecting our women to a level of exercise and competition that disrupts their hormonal health and leads to serious long-term health concerns. The right kind of athletic pursuit, on the other hand, would not hinder, but help the woman in her divine calling of motherhood, thus promoting ideal life and health span. Number eight, women taking male hormones to acquire the physique of a man, such as the case with CrossFit. Now, a number of you are probably thinking, that's crazy. Nobody does this. Actually, they do. (laughs) Are women really taking steroids? You might ask yourself to compete in CrossFit. Well, according to Dr. Thomas O'Connor, which funny name, the anabolic doc, the answer is a resounding yes. He said he's been dealing with the lady next door who competes in CrossFit and then eventually gets into steroids for at least 15 years. It's very common. There's a lot more of them than you would think. When asked about it on one of the podcasts, whether or not these ladies were on steroids, he said, come on, really? These women have tortoise shells for backs, right? Women cannot add that amount of muscle mass and definition in normal conditions. It's hard to see how this is any different in principle than a woman on hormone replacement therapy in the middle of a sex transition. Functionally, female bodybuilders and CrossFitters who do this are attempting to delete the sexual nature they've been given and to replace it with that of a man. As Paul would say, this is unnatural and therefore wrong. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. You could raise the objection. Well, what about testosterone replacement therapy for men? Well, the key difference here is that in the case of TRT, you're generally trying to return a man's hormonal level to its natural level. Whereas in the case of women doing CrossFit and bodybuilding, you're promoting an unnatural level of testosterone that would never normally be there in their bodies. So I think there is a difference. As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increased longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for more than nine weeks now. Working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts or four per week, and I have increased my deadlift and squat by well over 100 pounds and my bench press by over 60. I've never had weightlifting coaching before, but with custom tailored workouts and constant feedback, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 350 pounds. My squat is over 350 pounds as well. And on bench press, I've hit 250 pounds. And those numbers are still climbing. Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years that you have left on earth? Sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs. Visit barbelllogic.com hardmen to get paired with a coach today or use the link in the show notes. Number nine, number nine principle, we need to recognize the reality that homosexuality runs rampant in women's sports, including basketball, softball, and ballet. So we need to take wise parental caution against such compromising companionship. Now, It's a a well-known fact that women's sports are full of homosexuals. Out Sports, which is a gay sports website, openly brags about the fact that women's sports are notoriously homosexual. This is a quote from the article. The numbers clearly spell out the disparity between men's and women's sports. In the 2019 Women's World Cup, for example, there were more than 40 openly gay players and coaches. However, there were no openly gay athletes or coaches at the 2018 Men's World Cup. The imbalance remains stark throughout professional team sports. The WNBA is led by multiple out stars, as they say, including Sue Bird and Elena Del Don, while Jason Collins has been the only openly gay active player in NBA history. The NHL has never had an openly LGBTQ player, but the NWHL, Women's League, features several and accommodated transgender player Harrison Brown. At the 2016 Summer Olympics, the article goes on, there were a record 56 out athletes, and 45 of those were women. The article goes on to say, one of the possible explanations for the disparity environments is what's taught at the youth level, end quote. That's right. According to the authors and many WNBA players, female youth sports are, quote, incredibly inclusive, end quote, and the environments help young girls, quote, explore their sexuality, end quote, whereas the article says men's sports typically promote homophobia. Many of the women in the article say that youth sports help them investigate and tinker with bi and homosexuality. So this actually didn't start in the WNBA, but started in high school and college. Now, if that doesn't make the alarm bells go off in your head, I'm not sure exactly what will. Sadly, I've known several close family friends and acquaintances who've spent thousands of dollars sending their kids to things like ballet lessons. And and here we're talking about like elite ballet level only to have their young women return home in lesbian relationships or with their breasts removed. It's a poorly kept secret, also, that the arts and entertainment, things like ballet, and certain sports are the playground for homosexuals, pedophiles, and perverts. If nothing else does it for you, surely the serial sexual abuse case of Larry Nasser at Michigan State University should prove that sexual deviants hover like flies around sports like gymnastics, And then you ask yourself, why? Well, because you have a lot of young women who are dolled up and put in rather revealing spandex for the sake of entertainment. And this is attractive to homosexuals and perverts. The LPGA, there's the golf, ladies golf, WNBA, and other women's sports leagues are also notoriously homosexual. Now, Paul was quite clear on this issue. Bad company corrupts good morals. So parents have a responsibility to refuse to subject their kids to such environments. I'm much more concerned that my kid goes to hell than whether or not I can brag about whichever prestigious ballet or basketball camp she attended in high school. Number 10, sports or athletic activities should not promote immodesty, and we should not be putting our girls into sports or situations that encourage this sort of thing. Now, back in 2021, many of you will remember this story. The Norwegian women's beach handball team, whatever that is, was fined for refusing to play in bikini bottoms. During the Euro 2021 tournament, they were fined for not playing in bikini bottoms. They opted up, I think it was like spandex boy shorts, which were better, but not that much better. But the team was fined 1,500 euros for, quote, improper clothing. And it was a move that drew international attention. You remember people, celebrities like Pink got all over this one. Apparently, rules state women must wear bikini bottoms in the sport. Well, I wonder why that is. Let's ask ourselves, why do they do this? They require their women to dress this way. Why is a sports league so adamant that it's women dress modestly, prancing around their underwear? Anyone with a brain can figure this one out. Most men who watch women's beach volleyball do so because it's sexually enticing attire. The reason a league would mandate such apparel is because it sells tickets, right? It sells tickets to their events and it gets viewers on television. This is shocking. According to a survey done in Australia during the Beijing Olympics, women's beach volleyball was the fifth most watched event. Any guesses who was watching women's beach volleyball? Well, this is from an article in the Sydney Herald. I'm quoting now. The keenest watchers of women's beach volleyball, according to the survey, were men aged 50 and above. In fact, as many as 70% of males in the age group of 50 above watched the sport during the Olympics. That's astronomically high, by the way, compared with 44% of females in the 16 to 29 group. The proportion of older men tuning in may have been even higher than this, since those who did the survey said that many of the people were likely too embarrassed to admit that they had watched. The article asked this, was this the perv factor at work? Probably. End quote. <laughs> the perv factor indeed. I've defended some of the principles for Christian modesty in a previous episode, episodes really, uh, including one with pastor Brian Sovey. You can check that out. But here, I'll just say that Christian parents need to place a higher standard on biblical requirements for modest behavior than they do on whatever is currently fashionable in the culture at large. Wearing bikini bottoms and a bra in public is no different than prancing around in your underwear, and it would easily be considered shameful nakedness by biblical standards. Again, you can check out Jeff Pollard's book, The Public Undressing of America, very strong biblical case for why that qualifies as shameful nakedness. So, sports shouldn't be an excuse for immodesty. As parents, we shouldn't be thrusting our girls forward to be sexualized by pervy old men, or anyone else for that matter. But this is exactly what happens when teenage girls are paraded before the eyes of men in swimsuits and spandex. It's exactly what happens in sports like club volleyball, swimming, gymnastics, or CrossFit. Our girls are far more precious than commodified eye candy, to set on center stage for the sake of eyeballs and for perverts. So I would encourage Christian parents to really be thinking about this issue. Number 11, sports have been weaponized by the trans movement to blur and or eradicate the distinctions between the sexes. Sports have been a strategic frontline battle for the transgender movement. Like the frog and boiling water, cultural gatekeepers have slowly been turning up the temperature on what is acceptable. First, it was the celebration of women like Billie Jean King, then Serena Williams, then Katie Nida, then Amanda Nunez in the MMA. It's about normalizing a destruction of male and female distinction. What we get in the end is Leah Thomas, a male NCAA swimmer pretending to be a woman who is literally crushing the female competition. So as Christian parents, we should be aware of the ways in which sports are being weaponized against us. Yes, I don't think that we should turn them over to the left. We do need to actively reclaim them, but especially for our young ladies, we need to be protecting them against the weaponization of sports for transgenderism, right? Most Christians today remain unaware and naive about these things. Again, we we shouldn't let our boys compete against girls. We shouldn't allow for shared locker room spaces or anything that tends to androgynize and push towards transgenderism. What I want to do now is just wrap things up, hopefully with a nice little bow. I think it's time for Christian parents to think more seriously about the manner, the form, and the level of intensity with which they allow their daughters to participate in women's sports. Men and women genuinely are different, biblically and in nature. We see this every day. And any participation in athletics should reflect God's good design in making sexual distinctions among men and women. Christian parents obviously don't want their children to be used as pawns in transgender or homosexual craze movements, but many unwittingly subject them to such movements nonetheless. We need to know the enemy's strategy for stealing our children and adjust accordingly. Likewise, we need to recognize that women aren't made like men. They have different natures and bodies, and so they aren't made for heavy contact sports or levels of intensity that would shut down the natural functions of their bodies or leave them injured for life. Women do need exercise, and some level of participation in games and athletic activities can be quite healthy. But there are certainly areas we should avoid, including those that promote immodesty or extreme violence or those dominated by homosexuals. In all of this, our aim is to prepare our daughters for motherhood, the divine and very good calling to which God has assigned them. Now, finally, I want to read a fairly lengthy excerpt From an anonymous woman raised in Indiana, where basketball is a way of life, and I believe she was a player and coach, the letter appeared on the Warhorn Media website, and I found it quite helpful, so I will leave you with this. Here's what she has to say about women in basketball. I have coached on and off for about 30 years, girls from ages 6 through 23. Obviously, I support girls in sports, and basketball in particular. However, there is an age where it becomes, well unbecoming i was at a college practice once and suddenly it struck me how much spandex was in the room every girl had layers of spandex on under her clothes trying to artificially squish her body to put it delicately they were trying to restrain their bodies in places that their bodies were clearly trying to announce their sex many of them had spandex from their knees to their shoulders that was when it struck me that these weren't girls anymore That every woman there was trying hard to make her body do the unnatural. And they all looked a bit silly. Due to the particular weaknesses of women's bodies, comprehensive diet and training protocols have been developed for college athletes. These women spend hours in the weight room and eat under the direction of an athletic dietitian. You know what? It doesn't work. These girls get hurt a lot. They all have injuries. Knees, hips, back, they all hurt. They walk out of practice and into the training room. Into ice baths and whirlpools, ultrasound treatments, heated wax, ice packs, ice packs, ice packs, strapped to every part of their bodies. They limp to their cars. They go to bed hurt and wake up hurt. Their friends drive them to class because they hurt too badly to walk. Then they get to practice early so that they can get treatment so they can just barely function at practice. There's heated massage, tape around every joint, physical therapy exercises, all to get them ready to perform. These are the same girls forced to give the appearance of strength on billboards, all over town by flexing their biceps and showing a big smile, or worse, wearing a serious expression and failing to look fierce. Their bodies are rebelling, but they push through what nature is obviously screaming at them. And for what? Are they sacrificing their bodies to have children? For the hope of another soul in heaven? No, it is for basketball. But Moth and rust destroy trophies and banners too. Compare the 20-something years of college athlete with a young mom and tell me who is more productive. So easy for those who have eyes. Still don't believe me that women are weaker? Go to a college women's practice or watch one on YouTube and you'll notice that all the men are hanging around. Why are all these guys at a women's practice? Well, let me tell you. It is because they are called practice players. They play against the women because they are faster and stronger. These aren't players from the men's team. These are just guys who probably played in high school or maybe didn't. You know what though? They're still stronger and usually better than the girls on a Division I college team. It gives the girls better competition and practice than just playing against each other. There is a time to put away childish things. That time depends on the particular girl and the particular sport, but it must happen. Probably before college. Some sports should be put away at a much younger age than others. How many little girls do gymnastics and must stop when they hit their growth spurt in middle school. It becomes obvious to the mother that her little girl is no longer little, and gymnastics are no longer feasible. Then the mother directs her daughter to other activities. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. Definitely appreciate all of our Patreon supporters. If you're not yet a supporter on the Patreon channel, you get access to exclusive Pugilist episodes with myself and Pastor Dan Burkholder. We talk about a lot of practical issues. Uh, We had an episode recently actually aired in the main feed, but typical of what you find on the pugilist. And that was about how young men can prepare for marriage. We'll have one for the ladies as well uh, that will run on the Patreon only channel. Uh, By the way, if you have questions that you'd like us to answer, go ahead and send those in. You can reach out to us and we would love to uh, deal with some of those questions if we're able to do so. Sign up today for as little as $5 a month that helps support this work and the work we're doing at New Christendom Press and uh, goes a long ways to supporting this work. We're pastoring, we're writing music, we're doing a lot of stuff at New Christendom Press and we're also podcasting and so your support makes a huge, huge difference. Again, thanks to everyone who is already a supporter. We could not do this work without you guys and until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.